1: You get the spooked girls, true crime that makes you hypothermal. With the three spooked girls, stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you ask great, along with the spook. The slaughter.
0: Girls.
1: We on that haunted ground. Three girls. The three girls. Hey spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara, and as always, I'm here with my ghoul friend Jessica. Hey! This is the first episode of 2023. That's weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: i had to like think i was saying the year right i, I was like
0: wait <laughs> and in true fashion i'm just saying if you are new and you're like wow that girl sounds like trash today it's just i'm a little sick yeah yeah tis we're the re- season for yeah. the flu slash gold
1: yes we are a ghost of ghoul friend ghoul friends past because we're recording a lot in advance because i'm getting ready to move so fun time But I feel like that always happens around moves. It's like one or both of us get sick. So then we're just like, fuck, because then we have to like, we still have to like record a bunch and then we're dying. So it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Shows we love you guys. (laughs) Well, hopefully y'all had a good holiday season. Or if that is not something you celebrate, you just had a good end of the year. But before we get started, if you would like to hang out with us on social media, our handle is at 3spookedgirls. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of the places. And we have an amazing Facebook group. We have book club in there. We're going to have another either mug or book exchange coming closer to Valentine's Day. And that is 3spookedgirls official. Go check all of that stuff out. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com backslash 3spookedgirls. For as little as a dollar, you get one bonus episode a month. Five and up, you get video content, ad-free episodes, and all kinds of other stuff. So absolutely check that out. We would highly, highly appreciate it. And those of you that are patrons, we love you and appreciate you every single day. All right. So January is gonna be a little bit different than our normal format. So normally on Mondays, Jessica and I split a case, but for the sake of us batch recording a lot, most of the month, if not all, is probably gonna be similar to Stabby format. Jessica and I are going to be flip-flopping, so if you hear from me Mm -hmm. on a Monday, you're going to hear from Jess on a Thursday and vice versa. So, yeah, we're just going to go ahead and get into it. So today I'm going to be telling you guys about the Chicago Tylenol murders. This was a newer one for me. I had heard very little about it, but I I don't even know. I think being sick and just dealing with like a lot of over-the-counter medicine and stuff kind of made me think about it, because we've had colds. Semi-flu, I don't even know, just all the fucking nasty. So it made me, I was like, oh, wait, I remember this case, kind of. (laughs) Or is it a fever dream? No,
0: it was unfortunately very real. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When you're at your best, you can do great things. But sometimes life bogs you down and you feel overwhelmed or like you're not showing up in the way that you want to. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. Because when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything life throws at you. I know that sometimes when we are dealing with trauma or we are dealing with parts of our life that we want to grow in, seeking out therapy is a great thing. I've done it. And I can tell you that when I'm hyper-focused and have a therapist to help me, I can be the best version of myself. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, and affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash spooked to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash spooked girls.
1: So, our case begins on September 29th of 1982. 12-year-old Mary Kellerman lived in Elk Grove Village, which is a suburb about an hour outside of Chicago, according to Google Maps, with her parents. She had woke up for school that day, just like any other day, but was feeling under the weather. She was sick. She had a cold. So her parents decided to keep her home from school because she had start, started getting sick the previous night, right? And obviously, with colds, as we know, comes aches, pains, you know, sometimes sore throat, that kind of thing. So her parents had her take some extra strength Tylenol because also that, you know, it helps with a fever, normal. But before Mary went back to her room, she went into the bathroom and her dad heard a cough and then a loud thud. So originally he thought she had dropped a hairdryer and since he knew she wasn't feeling well, he went to go check in on her and found her lying on the floor convulsing and passed out. So they called 911 at 6.33 a.m. and first responders arrive, Mary is transported to Alexian Brothers Medical Center by 638. So all of this happened in a matter of five minutes, which is very, very quick. Mm-hmm. Tragically, Mary's heart did stop on the way to the hospital and doctors and the ER staff did try to save her life for hours performing CPR, you know, doing everything they could even inserting a pacemaker. But sadly, Mary would be pronounced dead at 956 a.m. And being that she was twelve, obviously authorities are gonna look into this, right? So they find the usual cold medicines and the bottle of the Tylenol, and her father, Dennis, tells them his wife had bought the bottle at a jewel store, which is, if you're not familiar, it's you know, it's like a Walgreens type of situation. You know, she bought it and Mary had taken some Tylenol before she went to bed, and then she took some again that morning before she went to go back to lay down. So police gather all the cold medicine up all the Tylenol up, and they take it to the station, and they lock it up in a sergeant's desk. And because, you know, she was in good health, minus this cold, they want to do an autopsy right away. So the assistant medical examiner, Dr. Barry Lifshultz, conducted this autopsy the following day. And something to pocket is by October 1st of that year, because obviously it took a little bit, he officially determined her cause of death was, quote, result of acute cyanide intoxication. Mm. Yes. Which, if you guys know from other episodes where cyanide's a factor, that is a very gruesome way to die. It is. Completely, It's horrible. Yeah. yeah. Well, three and a half hours later, the same day that Mary collapsed and passed, another family calls into 911. So, at this point, it was one thirty three p.m., and 27-year-old... Adam Janus, didn't wake up from a nap at his home. And he lived in Arlington Heights. So the Arlington Heights Fire Department responded to this. His wife had called in and they transported him to Northwest Community Hospital. And again, he was pronounced dead very quickly. He was pronounced dead by Dr. Thomas Kim at 3.15 p.m. that day. Investigators looked into this also, and they learned that he had gotten a bottle of Tylenol from a Jewel store. Same, same. Now, Adam's family's not done, unfortunately. So another 911 call came from that same home at 5.40 p.m. Now, originally, their first reaction is like, oh, my gosh, maybe someone's having a panic attack. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. he just died, right? No. So his brother was two years younger than him. His name was Stanley. He was 25. It was said that he went into the washroom, came out and said, I don't feel good. And then just collapsed in the kitchen. Oh, my God. In his wife's arms. And they said that he just fell down and he started having like white foam come out of his mouth and his eyes went in the back of his head. So obviously they're going to call an ambulance. And the family that was there, they went to the neighbor's house for help because one of their neighbors was a nurse. So they came back to the house. And at this time, also, you know, first responders are showing up too. his wife, Teresa, who is 20 years old. Same thing. She was down on the floor having the, you know, the white foam coming out of her Mm -hmm. mouth, everything. And they're just like, what the actual fuck? So they were taken to the same hospital that they had taken Adam to. Now, cops are like, what the fuck? That's three people from the same house. So they contacted the village public health nurse, and they pretty much tried to gather up anything they could that all three of them had come in contact with that day. And It was all normal stuff. So there was jarred cherries with cherry juice in it and blueberries. They also got a coffee pot that had black coffee still in it, a plastic bag containing a pound cake, and Tylenol. And they had all three taken it. Mm. So Stanley was pronounced dead by 8.15 that night. And originally what was so weird was they tried to say he died of like a heart attack. (laughs) But again, no previous medical history. He was young. He was healthy. So they're like, that's not fucking right. And Teresa, she was put on life support. Sadly, she would die three days after this, though. Hmm. So going into the the following day from when their collapses and everything happened, Dr. Kim, who was at the other hospital, you know, he was from the other cases, he was trying to figure out what the fuck is going on because he knew about all four of these poisonings. And they all took Tylenol. So he was up all night about it. And at 2.45 a.m., he had the blood test for Stanley and Teresa and it also showed high levels of cyanide in their blood. And our list, unfortunately, of these victims do not stop there. So, on the same day as the others, September 29th, Mary McFarlane, age 31, had not been feeling well that day at work, so she took some, you can guess it, Tylenol, and literally collapsed, had the same fucking symptoms, everything, as the other victims. She was rushed to the hospital and died eight hours later. Oh, God. And again, I'm sure you guys can guess at this point, they did find high levels of cyanide in her blood. Now, all of these are obviously sad, but this one, I'm just like, Jesus. So another woman, her name was Mary Reiner. She was age 27. She was had just had their, I think their third or fourth baby and had just been released and went home. Well, her husband came into the room she was in And it looked like she was having a seizure. You can guess she had taken Tylenol because obviously she had just given birth. Mm. So this Mary was transported to Central DuPage Hospital and they tried to save her as well. But unfortunately, she died at 9.03 a.m. These are all happening the same day, which is just like fucking insane. And same cause of death as the others. Cyanide poisoning. Now, the last victim that's connected with them wouldn't be connected by authorities until a couple days later because her so basically her name was Paula Price. She was 35 years old. She was a flight attendant. And what caused a red flag for her was she had missed a lunch date with her sister and she hadn't been heard from in a few days, which was not normal at all. Right. So Mm -hmm. they, you know, they went to her part. Authorities went to her apartment to do a well check and they found her body. She had officially been declared dead the same day by the medical examiner's office at 6.45 p.m. So basically, they found the bottle of extra strength Tylenol in her bathroom with only one capsule missing. But with this bottle, what was interesting was it wasn't from Jewel; It was from a Walgreens that had dated back to the same day that the others died. So they assumed Mm. she died, you know, had come home, taken it that night. There was very limited C- CCTV back then, obviously. Mm-hmm. But they did have footage showing her like, you know, grabbing it, buying it and leaving like nothing was wrong. So, yeah. So, of course, since all of this is happening, the Illinois Attorney General was notified and they created the little Murders Task Force. So his name was is he's still alive. He just did an article actually earlier this year. His name is Ty Fawner, I believe is how you say his last name. He had said, quote, we had 20 to 25 people get together immediately the next morning. So like they moved quick and basically they held a press conference with this and they had the Cook County Medical Examiner also there and they wanted to warn people in the area because they they didn't know they none of these people were connected minus obviously the family. So they were like, if you got extra strength Tylenol, throw that shit the fuck away. And right away, even though there wasn't a like official recall out, stores started pulling and they all had the same batch number. So they were like, "Okay, so do we pull some? Do we pull all of them? Like nobody really knew. So really at that point, it was kind of like up to the discretion of the store what all they pulled, you know, but I from what I read,
0: most of the stores were pulling everything, obviously, just to be safe. Right. Because you wouldn't want to leave that like one bottle that you were unsure of in that one. Exactly.
1: Also. Exactly. And stuff just got so fucking chaotic because authorities are trying to scramble to be like, OK, is it everything? Is it just these? You guys have to think, too, especially those that are younger. This case is why we have those the tamper seals, seals
0: and the cotton and stuff. Exactly.
1: Yeah. They didn't have that before. So, you know, they they were working 24 hours a fucking day. They had the local authorities, sheriff, any corners they could get, the FBI, the FDA, public health people. Everybody was trying to fucking get this figured out. And they basically in the whole state, they were like, no, we need to pull every single bottle that exists. Right. Because you don't want to like chance it exactly because obviously this was laced with fucking cyanide. And shout out to the DuPage County, I'm probably saying that wrong, I feel like, but if I'm not, yay me. (laughs) The deputy coroner Pete Sykman, he was like, I am pretty sure that, like, before they even tested them, he's like, I'm pretty sure some of these capsules have been tampered with because of, like, the grainy powder that was in them. It like didn't look like normal Tylenol, right? So Mm. he was right. And of course, something like this becomes national news very quickly. And there was panic everywhere. On some of the articles I read, because obviously, like, on news publications, people can leave comments and stuff. People were saying, yeah, I had, it might have even been like, I watched a couple videos too. I don't know. Anyway, people were talking about being in like Florida and, you know, on the West Coast and all these different states and being like, holy fucking shit, is my Tylenol laced, Right, you know? And at that point, it wasn't public knowledge, like it was cyanide or whatever. They just knew people were taking it and dying. So there was people all like a huge flood of people calling into like poison control and things like that. being like, hey, I took, you know, I took this like two days ago. Am I okay? Like, am I gonna, right? do I need to go to the hospital? You know, all of that, which is like completely fucking warranted, right? Because this so, was way
0: before you could just like Google, like, symptoms really fast.
1: Exactly, exactly. This was the 80s. And of course, obviously the stock price. I don't know why this was like brought up so much cuz I'm like no fucking shit, but stock prices of Tylenol just like plummeted to the ground for Johnson and Johnson with all of this. And I'm like, well duh, cuz like who the fuck's going to risk that and buy it? No one.
0: <laughs> like, come right. on now. And you also like other places in the country cuz they didn't know like was it happening at a manufacturing level.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, so like that's scary cuz I could go to the store and buy a bottle of Tylenol mm-hmm. that was made next to a bottle of Tylenol that got sent to Chicago. Exactly. Exactly. So,
1: kind of like I said, they dismissed the possibility that this per- the person responsible for this was targeting anybody, right? And they were like, we're pretty sure this was random. They probably didn't know the victims. So with that theory, the task force reached out to hospitals asking, you know, has anyone been treated for poison burns or symptoms similar to, you know, messing with cyanide and stuff during that time frame? They also pulled library records to see if anybody had checked out books on cyanide. And they talked to vets in the area to see if they had any cases come in of unusual animal poisonings thinking that maybe this person tested with the animals first before putting it in the stores. And of course, when they are investigating, they talk to anybody and everybody, basically. So they talk to lower level employees, managers, past employees who left not on good terms, all of that stuff near the area. And... Nothing. They actually even talked to a man who was charged with attempting to steal 28 bottles of Tylenol back in August, but that ended up being nothing. I don't know what the fuck he was doing with all that Tylenol, but okay.
0: I can see why they would be (laughs) like, okay, he's trying to steal this shit because- yes. Oh, if he's stealing it, then he's like refilling the capsule.
1: Like the exactly, exactly, exactly. But that was a dead end. So investigators also collected more than 200 cyanide samples from the Chicago area, from businesses, facilities, all kinds of places. And they sent them to an FDA lab in Cincinnati. And there, research chemist Karen Walnick and her colleagues established a trace of element pattern, basically a chemical fingerprint. And essentially, for each sample, they had to see if it was identical, if it matched what was used in the Tylenol. Now, that really didn't do anything because they found literally no matches at all, unfortunately. So another fucking dead end, which is just so goddamn frustrating. She had done an interview and said they were particularly concerned that something happened during the manufacturing or the shipping or storage, and we were able to analyze the cyanide to show that it was not the same as the cyanide at the plant that was in the capsules. So it was just like, nope, basically another nope, (laughs) unfortunately, and it just went cold for months and months and months. But during this, they did talk to more people that they thought could be a person of interest as they went down. But it's just like everything was a dead end. There was a guy who was a chemist that had been laid off from one of these companies. And they're like, maybe, maybe he, you know, got pissed off and just did this out of retaliation. But it was like, yeah, he got laid off. But it was kind of like whatever, because he already had another job and he was cleared. Like he didn't do it, you know. Right. Now, what was interesting was profiling was very new back in the day. So FBI did decide to go this route. Basically, they were trying to figure out because they had no fucking clue. Like they were getting all of these tips, everything, and nothing was coming back. So basically, after they eliminated, you know, the the plant theory, the manufacturing theory, mm-hmm. they checked everybody who worked for, like, you know, delivering the trucking companies that delivered the medicine. They talked to warehouses, they talked to distribution centers, they talked every fucking where and looked at all of these records and nothing. So they are like, okay, because we are so empty-handed, the only thing we know is that this absolutely happened at the store, basically. Mm -hmm. But, you know, again, unfortunately, there's not cameras everywhere like there was here, so it really didn't fucking help at all, whatsoever. But like I said, this did force them to develop the plastic seals and all of that. So it was like, it was really good for that. But, you know, it's kind of like, fuck. And they were kind of back to that guessing game because they were like, well, they didn't mention that the boxes, you know, were tampered with or opened of the medicine bottles. But it's like also at the same time, I feel like if you're sick, or like your kid's sick or whatever and you know not being taught to be aware of those kind of things
0: there's a chance they could have missed it or even like think about think about when you've gone to the store and you've picked up a product and the box is like dented or a little like yeah a jar you might not like even today like i was thinking about the last time i bought toothpaste
1: the Mm -hmm.
0: top of the box is a little like awkward but it could have just been like the way they took it out of the The shipping container to put onto the shelf. Yeah. It could have just happened. Yeah. So that
1: kind of leaves us at what the actual fuck like. They literally have no idea, but there are a couple other specific suspects that they looked into that are just kind of interesting. So the first one is James Lewis, and he spent 13 years in prison for a conviction related to the crime, but he wasn't convicted as murdering or poisoning these people. Okay. So, yeah. So, basically, there was a note that went over to Johnson & Johnson, being like, if you want to know what actually happened, I need a million dollars placed in a P.O. box or in a, you know, a safe box at Continental Bank in Chicago. Obviously, dumb dumb, they were able to get fingerprints off this, and they, they got
0: him, and they're like, hmm sketch weird what the fuck and <laughs> also it's like here put this money in this safety deposit box right that probably has my name connected to it <laughs> or if not because but oh no no no! actually let's actually just watch it
1: yes and he also had an alias james richardson
0: so he was just a match and he just changed I, his last name pretty much yeah that's stupid right I guess not. I guess that's what they tell you to do. Yeah. It's like only change part of it or keep your technically they tell you to keep your initials the same.
1: Yeah. But basically, at first they couldn't find this dude and literally everybody and their dad was looking for him like all over the country because they thought this is who did it. But they they arrested him. He was found in New York City in December of 1982. He was convicted of extortion, obviously. Mm -hmm. by a jury in the U.S. District Court in Chicago of October of 1983. And during his sentencing, a U.S. attorney Dan Webb called him a walking crime wave. He was sentenced to 10 years for his extortion attempt. Now, the day after his sentencing, he sat down for an interview with someone from CBS and said that he felt like he was on trial for the murders, not just extortion, and he tried to claim his innocence with this. It's like, hmm, interesting, because there's a lot of people that still think he definitely did it. He was just trying to profit off it and got lucky. Now, another one they looked into was kind of like when they were looking into the people who worked in the warehouses and stuff. There was a guy named Roger Arnold. He was 48 years old, and he worked at the docks of the Jewel Warehouse in Melrose Park. So, They had gotten a lead from him because he had purchased a large quantity of cyanide about six months prior to the poisonings and was acting erratic, like acting crazy. He basically had guns on him, ammunition on him, had books on explosives and poisons. And then it was funny to me because one article I grabbed it, it was like, he had a book titled The Poor Man's James Bond. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Very 80s. But it had how to make potassium cyanide. Now, he did admit that he had the cyanide in his home at one time, but when they, you know, got the warrant and searched his house, nothing. But seven months after the Tylenol murders, he was actually charged with killing a man at a bar. And basically, he thought this was who had turned him in for the Tylenol, like turned him into the police for Tylenol murders. Oh, shit. Yeah. However, he killed the wrong person. And he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Good for him. Right. They also looked into Kevin Masterson. He was 35 at the time. He was said to allegedly have a long standing grudge against Jewel Grocery Store, the chain. Basically, his landlord claimed that the grudge stemmed from an incident where he claimed his wife was roughed up at a store while being held for shoplifting. And he believes that that incident is what led to them getting divorced. I'm like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. But he was another strong candidate and everybody was looking for him and he was MIA, but he ended up turning himself over to the FBI in Los Angeles. So he was like totally somewhere else. And they, they held him on a warrant for having weed on him, but again, ruled out and he's dead now. So it's one of those things where it's like, can't even read interview him or anything with this. So it's just fucking sad. There was another one that was talked about quickly, but they were ruled out as well. So I'm not really going to get into that. But interesting enough, I don't know. This could be a really interesting one. So fast forward to 2011. They requested DNA samples from the Unabomber Hmm. because the first four crimes during his time happened in Chicago and the suburbs in that area from 78 to 80. And his parents had a home in Lombard. And in 1982, he occasionally stayed there. Now, I am assuming that was also a dead end because as of now in, you know, now 2023, they still have no idea who did this, which is fucking terrifying, right? It could have been one of these, you know, these men that I just mentioned. It could have been somebody else, but at this point, they literally have no idea. Like I said earlier, the the DA and they've done some update articles and stuff as time has went on. But it's like basically all they say is we're gonna retest this, the DNA, any DNA, see if there's any kind of DNA, put it in the system, things like that. And I mean, we have seen this happen where they revisit it and they finally do solve it. And I. I hope they do because it's just, it's scary because they, they have no idea. They have no mm-hmm. idea who or why poison these bottles. So, you know, it's just, it's a really weird case. And I cannot imagine being, you know, like a parent during that time. That would have been fucking scary, even just being an adult because you're like, holy shit. Because at that time, Tylenol was newer. So... You know, people were popping it. They're like, oh, take it for everything. It was funny because one video I was watching, it was showing 80s Tylenol commercials in it. <laughs> that's huh. like cutaways. I think that was in Kendall Ray's video. But yeah, it's just, it's crazy. It is still considered unsolved. They don't consider it having gone completely cold because they do have a team that's still working it to this day, all these decades later. But yeah, I really hope that one day they are able to solve that. So yeah, that is the Chicago Tylenol murders, guys.
0: There was a copycat killer.
1: Yes, there was a copycat,
0: and they did look into
1: him, but it was not the same person.
0: Oh no, no, no! The uh, we did it. I did it a stabby like a couple years ago on a woman by I think her name was like Stella Nichols or something Mm. like that, and she tried to kill. She killed her husband. Oh yeah, 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 yes. I remember this copying this because because. This happened in 86 because nobody had gotten caught. But she was dumb because this is where I think she fucked up the most. Mm. Was She had two bottles on her that had mm. like the cyanide poisoning in it. Mm-hmm. And she said she bought them at two different stores. And the cops right. were like, I remember this now. Yeah, that the likelihood of that is like, there's not it's not even fathomable. The likelihood right, exactly. that one person goes to two different stores and gets two poison bottles. When right. I think there was only like between the two stores, there's only like three poison bottles. Yeah. So yeah. She in prison. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> as she should be. All right,
1: y'all. Well, that is gonna go ahead and wrap us up for today. Thank you so much for listening as always. And we will be back on Thursday with the Stabby. Bye guys.
0: Bye.